So we've been talking about prayer. And if you're new to this, this is the journey that we're on in, in understanding at the end of, of, the, of the armor of God and all that God is speaking to us through that. We've been talking how Paul ends up in verse 18 in Ephesians chapter 6. He finishes with these words. And he says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. We're going to linger on these verses as we come to the end of our teaching in Ephesians. And after next week, we're going to start a series called One. And uh, those are all those little one books that you can read in one go like Philemon and um, Philemon. And, and Jude, and we're going to be, throughout the summer, uh, going through those small, wonderful books and just explaining them. But let's just go back to this verse. And as we look at it, it says, and pray in the Spirit, just down the next verse, and where it says, pray also for me. These are some incredible words here. The Apostle says, pray for me. They're probably, although they're four words in the international version, New International, in other versions, it's three very powerful words, pray for me. And I think those are profound because the apostle sees the importance that he needs the church to get on and to pray for him because he cannot do the job that he's called to and get through the pressures that he's going through without being prayed for. Now, if the apostle Paul needs people to pray for him, then you and I need people to pray for us. And the three most important words are this, pray for me. You know I'm having a tough time. Pray for me. You may not even be a Christian here this morning. You may have come this morning because you like Willow Park Church and you attend on Father's Day and that's fantastic. And please keep attending and keep joining us and just check us out. Come for a month in a row and see how you find it for Sundays and get a good feel for us. But listen, these are really important words. Pray for me because I'm struggling because life is tough, because families face problems. And what is Paul facing? Well, in Ephesians 4, we know exactly what he's facing. He says this, he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. As a prisoner, life is not good for Paul at the moment. He's in prison. He's getting prison food. He's getting roughed around and pushed around and by the Roman guards. He's confined to a small space. He's under this pressure and this anxiety. He's got churches that he's planted and strange, extreme, false teachers are coming to his churches and messing with their minds. You know, he's probably worried and stressed out and thinking, God, I've done all of this work and it's going to be robbed. Lord, I need you to to work and what is his prayer when he writes this he says listen just pray for me will you just pray for me just 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 remember me just know that I'm suffering and it's difficult but I need your prayers 
And I think if you can go away from this morning with anything, it's this. I encourage you to get others to pray for you when you go through difficult times. If you go away and you leave, I encourage you that you step in and that prayer is important in that way as you face those very difficult times. I certainly could not do the role that I do without the prayer of the saints and the prayer of a loving church and family. We need that. Let's go a bit deeper here. Four things I want to mention to you. First of all, when we look at that verse, we realize is that what he's trying to nurture in all of his writings and what prayer flows out of, prayer flows out of this sense of a deep affection. A deep affection. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, you know, there's a sense here that he wants the churches to connect with him, his plight, his difficulties. And there is a, there's a connection that is a deep affection that they actually care about the apostle they are praying for. You know, when you want to be a real prayer warrior and you want to pray in a way that connects and counts and pray in the spirit, it connects with a sense of a very deep affection. It is the fuel that drives our prayers. It is the, when the inner man within who we are connects with God and we feel that deep affection towards the person we are praying for and the situation we are going through. And we want to pray for them. We connect with it. It is something that is profound. And praying in the spirit is not just a, a, a dull, two-dimensional experience. It's when God moves your heart heart to pray for people that you feel deeply, deeply connected to. Prayer meetings should not be boring. Prayer, prayer meetings are a time when we connect with the heart of God and we understand and we cry out to him and say, Lord, Lord, you know, I really feel. And that's why it's important that we all have to be a praying church because many of us connect in different ways to different people and have deep connections and affections for people. And God needs a prayer and God needs a church that is full of people that care about each other and are praying for each other. And the one thing we've been trying to build is this whole idea that we are a praying church. That we, we, in every area, wherever it is, that we want to do that. We want to connect. And interestingly, you can have a deep affection for people and situations that you may not even realize and you learned who are away and who you've never met, who you've never connected with in your life. I was very fortunate that when I got saved, and I got saved into, I became a Christian, into this youth group. And they were, I guess it was 1980, and they were very enthusiastic about praying for people and the persecuted church. And as a church, we were praying for, for all of the communist countries that God would move in power and bring down the Berlin Wall. And we'll see revival and churches planted throughout that, that region. Of course, wonderful things happened in that region. And the first thing I was interested, uh, introduced to, was a group called the Siberian Seven. And I don't know if you remember this. Anybody remember this? It was free the Siberian Seven. The seven out. 
Seven out. You can see the, um, the 1980s artwork. Uh, but it's, it, I googled this and I found it because I suddenly remembered that I prayed for every one of these children and this pastor for every week for months and years that God would work and would free them because they were held up in the American embassy in the basement living on a, a sm- in a small room with a little stove and the basement staff of the American embassy would come down and they would support them and help them. They were let out uh, into the courtyard for an hour a day and they were walked around with a guard because the KGB were trying to snatch them. It was a great embarrassment to the Reagan administration. It was a frustration to the Russians because they had, had Protestant Christians held up in the American embassy and the whole of Europe and every little church was praying for their freedom and I suddenly became a Christian and I thought these it's amazing here I am now a Christian and this church is praying for this family and for all the persecuted church with great affection and great depth that God would move in power you know that kind of praying is something the church needs again when we connect with issues globally, when we push in globally, it formed me, it shaped me, it actually helped me. We all jumped on school buses, I was 15, with banners and we wore the badges to school and we all went down to Trafalgar Square outside of Canada House and we, we stood there, hundreds of us with banners and people came and spoke to us. I thought, this is great, I've just become a Christian and these Christians are radical about changing the world. And I climbed up on top of a lion in Trafalgar Square and sat on top of it with my friends and, 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 and chanted seven out. It was, um, it was highly inspiring for a 15-year-old. And so, uh, you know, is that wonderful? But what we realize is, is that we get deeply, we have a deep affection in the spirit when God connects us with people and situations and we start to pray. It's a frightening thing that you can walk through your Christian discipleship and not have a deep affection for people that you have to pray that God will work and move. It's a frightening thing that your Christianity can become so confined that you lose a sense of, of that sense of pray for me, of the global movement of what God wants to do in lives. You see, he uses the phrase, which is a, if we, it's about deep affection, he uses the phrase, uh, I'm an ambassador in chains. And, and he uses this phrase, an ambassador for Christ, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. No diplomatic immunity for this ambassador, by the way. Think about that. Just because you're an ambassador for Christ doesn't mean that you get diplomatic immunity. And anybody that preaches it and tells you that now you're in Christ, nothing in your life will go wrong. You'll never suffer. You'll never have problems. You'll never have difficulties. I mean, honestly, please, we live in a dark world with lots of problems and issues, right? 
Most of us struggle. Most of us have problems. We all battle. We've got relatives that are in pain. Our own fears that we battle with and our difficulties. And I thank God. But what does this mean then? He's an ambassador in chains. Well, of course, an ambassador, this helps us with our prayer life. An ambassador is given the right to represent the kingdom or the nation in a foreign place as a representative of that kingdom. And Paul is saying here, you know what, I want you to realize that I am a representative of a foreign invading kingdom. And I am coming. It's a kingdom of love. It's a kingdom of peace. It's a kingdom of God's power. And I want to remind you this, that, that, that I am an ambassador. But I want to also remind you that as an ambassador, ambassadors are paid to do one thing. They are paid only to speak the message of the Government that they represent. They're not allowed to give their own spin. They're not allowed to give their own ideas. They're not allowed to give their own opinions. When they go and speak, they speak only what the rulers tell them to speak. And that's the kind of church that we need to be. That we only speak what the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords tells us to be. And that, that we understand that our job is to represent in our prayerfulness and with that authority and that deep sense that we are called to represent the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You see, Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians. He goes on, so we are ambassadors for Christ. You and I. You and I are ambassadors for Christ Jesus. You're not just anybody, but you're an ambassador. You know, if you ever met an ambassador... They're surrounded by guards. You can't get near embassies. Embassies are are, are amazing places. Embassies give out visas and documents. They stamp things. They have a business to do. Can I remind you that your business is an embassy for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Can I remind you that your little home is a little embassy where God's rule is and God is present? Can I remind you that you are an ambassador for Christ and you are called and given authority from heaven and as you are given authority from heaven, you are called to represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We may not give visas out. We may not help people with certain immigration, but we introduce people so they can receive the kingdom of God and find everlasting life and eternal forgiveness. Those are the kind of things we give out. And if a church can be anything, a church needs to be an embassy that stands out for the love of God and the peace of Christ and people walk through the doors and they can walk out forgiven, cleansed and a citizen of the the heaven itself. That's what church is about. And sometimes we forget that. You forget the way that you pray. We can forget the way that we engage. I remember, uh, I think it was... uh, Madeleine Albright, you may have not have, she was the first American um, uh, ambassador to the United Nations, first lady, and there were 180 nations. Again, it was, it was around the Reagan administration. I've got a picture of the United Nations. These are all of the 
ambassadors gathering. And in her biography, and she writes about the day she goes and she has to speak. Uh, it's around that period when, um, when there's all the, the tension in the Middle East. And then later on, she was asked to go and... Um, and really, her job was this, she wrote. My job was to speak about Saddam Hussein and just oppose him on every level. And Saddam Hussein called her the snake of, uh, of America. And, and she was very nervous, she writes. She says, I was, I was afraid. And, and I felt anxiety. And, and I sat there behind my desk. And I was ready to speak to all the nations of the world. And I was anxious I was worried. I mean, she's an academic and an amazing thinker. But she, she said, I was utterly full of anxiety and fear until I looked down. And as I looked over the table, I noticed the name that was in front of me. And it wasn't Madeleine Albright. It was you, the United States of America. And at that moment, she said, I realized that when I spoke, I represented the greatest nation on this planet. And I want to remind you something. That in your own power and your own prayers and our own weakness, we, we have no strength. But when you remind yourself that I am part of the kingdom of God... I am part, and he listens to those prayers. I represent his rule, his love, his kingdom. I represent him. Oh, how I want him. And you know, when we go into prayer, and we stand in that place, it's nothing that is by our own effort. It is conferred on us as children to pray, as 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 ambassadors, as members of God's family, as children. And you can pray about your problems with confidence. You can pray about what you're, you're facing. You can bring requests to the Lord. Prayer is the biggest and most gorgeous gift to the church. And we need to keep building and developing our devotion and our prayerfulness within our lives. But what does he say here? A little bit earlier, he said, stay alert. And I guess the one thing we understand is that there's a danger. He says at the beginning of this, stay alert. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. There is a strong theological picture right the way through Scripture, particularly it grows in the New Testament when, when, when there is a theme of the danger of one thing, and that is that the saints fall asleep spiritually and they stop being alert. And the biggest challenge we have to answer to ourselves is have I nodded off? I love to nod off. In fact, I've trained myself because I've raised twin daughters that I can nod off any time. There are times when it's not good to nod off, correct? Highway 1, um, as you drive to Calgary, not a good time. Just past, uh, you know, wherever, uh, Revelstoke, climbing up there, don't nod off then. 
But there has been the rare occasion in my life when I've traveled long distances foolishly and I've nodded off while I've been driving for a split second. Oh, yeah, it terrifies you, doesn't it? Thankfully, they put all those ruts in the road that when you go off, it goes, and you wake up, ah, Jesus, and then your wife's pounding on you. And it's just, um, just the way that Christian marriage should be. And, but the one thing I've discovered, because sometimes I'm lying there on my couch, and I've had a busy day, and I've been up early, and I'm, and I'm lying there with my coffee, and I'm, I'm like, and I start to nod off, and I nod off. And I don't realize I've nodded off, correct? Until you feel the coffee run down your stomach. (laughs) You nod off. And I want to, you know, I want to encourage you that, that there is a spiritual danger that even in your Christianity, you can no longer be alert, but you've become dull and you've even fallen asleep spiritually. And this will affect your prayer life. This will affect that deep affection. This will affect any sense that you were in an embassy for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That you've nodded off. You see, the reason he says stay alert in Scripture is that there were two reasons. Number one, when you stay alert, there was the danger of temptation coming towards you. And the way that you deal with temptation is on your knees and praying before God. Bring it to God. Like a roaring lion, it says. We've looked at that scripture from Peter. But also, he says, stay alert because the King of kings and the Lord of lords will return. In other words, we stay alert because our eschatology in the New Testament is that one day Jesus will return. And he's not looking for a church that is asleep or is in the dark or has no oil. He's looking for a church that is alert and alive and prayerful. And we look up to the heavens and we pray and we cry and we say, come Lord Jesus. What the Lord does not want is, 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 is Christians who are fatigued, Christians who have, who have allowed themselves to become lazy in their Christian walk. We have to stay alert. See, Revelations 22 talks about this. Revelations 22, it talks about the one who gives this testimony, says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen, come Lord Jesus. That actually means, amen, Maranatha. Come Lord Jesus. Lord, I want to stay awake because I want to be awake against the temptations that come against me in life. But Lord, I want to stay awake because come Lord Jesus. Things are shifting, come Lord Jesus. I need you to come in every way. Come, Lord Jesus. We're looking for the return of his bodily return when, believe me, the heavens will open and the King of Kings will return. As surely as he came the first time, he will come again. Come, Lord Jesus. But that has to be our prayer anyway, isn't it? Pray for me. Come, Lord Jesus. You know, yesterday I sat with a friend who is battling cancer. And as we sat for a couple of hours and, and uh, you know, 50 years old. And every day this week, my alarm's gone off at 1 o'clock uh, p.m. And it's rang and I've stopped and I've interceded and prayed and prayed for probably a dozen other people in our church who are sick and ill. But you know, that is that prayer that I keep praying, come Lord Jesus. 
Come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha, I need you to be present. I need to feel, I feel deep affection for these people. And I pray, God, that you will move. Because the danger is that we can fall into apathy. And what the New Testament teaches is that he's not looking for an apathetic church. And there is a danger that we have to avoid apathy in our lives. Paul kind of repeats this theme again. There's something like like, um, 10 scriptures, and I haven't got time to go through them all, but 10 scriptures that talks about this. Romans 12, verse 12. I love this verse. Rejoice in the hope. We're good at that. Endure in affliction. Okay, we go through tough times. Persevere in prayer. That's what we're called to do. Persevere in prayer. Don't give up. Don't step away. Keep pushing in. Colossians 4 and verse uh, 2 says, Persevere in prayer, being watchful in with thanksgiving. So we are hopeful in our prayers. Our prayers are full of thanksgiving, but we persevere in prayer. Don't give up for that person you are praying for with deep affection. Don't give up for that person who is sick and ill and needs a touch from heaven. Don't give up for your children or your grandchildren. Persevere in prayer. Keep believing. Keep praying. Do the work. Because, And if you need to wake up, then wake yourself up or turn to your wife and say, wake me up on this Father's Day. I'm going to pray for my family. I'm going to pray that God will work. You know, I'm going to pray that God will do. I am going to persevere. I find every time I read Mark 14, it draws me to tears. The scene of Jesus in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's there, he's agonizing, he brings his closest friends and the people that feel deep affection for him, but what do they do? His closest friends fall asleep because they would rather sleep than pray. See, there's a determination in being a prayerful people that you have to work hard at it. There's nothing glamorous about it. We have prayer meetings every month. About 100 people gather so far. My prayer is that that prayer meeting will grow to 200 and 300. I am praying that a quarter of our church, 250, will attend that prayer meeting. And and that will become something that will grow and develop. And something that becomes and marks us. Because I can't see any other answer in scripture how to really do church. Apart from that, we are a praying, seeking people. And we understand that. Watch and pray. But it's hard work. In those prayer meetings, you've got to pray. In those prayer meetings, you've got to think about people. In those prayer meetings, the spectacular doesn't happen. And I'm aware, uh, you know, angels don't appear. Things don't happen. You know, but there's people on their knees and people praying that God will work. And yet, here is his disciples. And he comes back twice. Wake up, will you? Oh, I'm so tired. 
Don't you realize I'm struggling? I need you to pray. Wake up, will you? I'm agony. This is the worst point in my life. This is where I will take all of the pain and all of the guilt and all of the anxiety and all of the failing of humanity into my body and I'm going to bear it. Now imagine if that was you. If in this room alone, you took on all of our pain and stories and emotions at one moment in you, all the failings and pains of this room, it would crumble you and you would have a breakdown. And here he is. He's getting ready to walk to the cross and all he wants is his friends praying for him. That's all your friends want you to do, you know. You've got sick friends. You have deep affection for them. Turn that deep affection into a prayerfulness that you've never experienced before. And if you don't know how to pray, read about prayer. If you don't know more about prayer, listen to more sermons on prayer. You know, say, yes, Lord. Watch and pray. Last week, I challenged you. Set your your phones. Let it ring. Let it go off. And remind yourself, I've got a nice little chiming sound like church bells on my iPhone. So it it dings away. And people go, what's that? I said, oh, can we just pause? Four lunch appointments this week. It started to chime. And I just said, I'm sorry, you may not know these people, but at one o'clock I always pray for them. Do you mind joining me in prayer? You know, which, you know, could be a bit embarrassing if I'm with the fire chief of Kelowna. Um, But maybe not. Because God calls us to do that. Three practical things I'll leave with you to consider. Number one, the most real blessing for me in my life is is having a prayer partner. And of course, practices include this whole idea, but having a uh, going to prayer meetings contributing to the prayer meetings, lists, prayer chains, joining prayer chains, going on prayer walks, you know, participating in healing prayer, praying for others, praying for the world, for the peace that God's kingdom will will come. But one of the anchors in my own personal life has been that I've had a prayer partner for over 15, 20 years, somebody that I've prayed with on a monthly basis that I've got together, we've walked together, because I can't, I find it hard to stand still, you've noticed. And, And we walk together and we pray. And for over Over 17 years, we have prayed for every one of our children by name every month. And we've taken time to prayer walk and to pray for our children, to pray for our wives, to pray for our lives without without any uh, shaking until I moved away from England and moved to Canada, which makes it a little bit difficult. But you know, it, it really was important. I mean, now his kids are 14 and 12, still pray for them by name. And strangely enough, he flew in on Thursday because he was doing business in Vancouver and said, I can pop up to Kelowna for a day. Do you want to go on a prayer walk? Yeah. We got together. And over those 15, 17 years, it's been tough. 
You know, he's gone through bankruptcy. He's battled with, with having nothing and taken his business and now today employs 28 people in the business and it's going wonderfully. But remember the days when we just walked along a little path and, and he wept because things were so tough and he was just living off one credit card to another credit card to get, to get, um, to get this company going. And now it's a global concern, but back then he was even worried if he could even feed his kids and he lost his house through affliction but persevered in prayer. You see, God will give you somebody or find somebody. Learn to walk with somebody and, and dads, it's really good to meet once a month and pray for your kids once a month with somebody and to keep praying for them and to keep pushing in and it's never too late to start. You might want to consider fasting and, and giving up some food and, and, and setting time aside that is utterly biblical. It focuses our minds. But we are all called to intercede. Intercession can be thought of in a very, you know, ooh, intercessors. It's like... It's like when you become an intercessor, you might be joining the Avengers or something. You know, it's like, woo, uh, who are you? I'm an intercessor, mm, as they float off. And, and sometimes we think of it in a very, you know, like it's some kind of hidden mystery, some kind of hidden thing. And, and the Bible teaches us there's nothing mysterious about being an intercessor. And interceding for others. You see, learning to intercede means that you learn and know and sense what the heart of God is for that person you're praying for. And you're praying the will of God and the heart of God into that situation. Okay, that's it. The heart of God for that person. The heart of God into that situation. And the biggest lesson I've ever learned in intercession is this. I need to lose my personal opinions. I'm pretty good with opinions. Did you know that? You may have noticed it. Oh, I'm, I'm particularly good on, on politics and global politics. Get me going and I will bore you to death on, on global politics. I enjoy global politics. I mean, I've quoted Madeleine Albright. How ridiculous is that? And... and and yet the one thing I know is that when I come to prayer, it's not about my opinion or my judgment or my offense or my thought. It's about learning to pray without opinion because whose opinion do I really pray? I pray the opinion of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So when you pray for people, lose your opinion and work out what is the opinion of heaven and what is the opinion of Jesus and how should I pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray for me. How should you pray for me? Pray within the heart of God. What is the heart of God for Paul? The heart of God, he knows it, is that he should proclaim the gospel fearlessly to the world. So pray for me with deep affection. Pray for me with authorities, ambassadors of Christ. Pray for me and stay alert and don't fall asleep and stop praying and avoid at all costs becoming completely sluggish and allowing yourself to fall asleep within your spiritual life. 
apathy will kill us, is what he's saying. So decide to do one small thing this week. Decide to make a difference. Decide to pick those people where God has given you a deep affection and start to pray for them. And realize that God's, God, he so wants to use you and your embassy to pray his will and his purpose. His will. Your place of work, your office is an embassy. It's a place you can make a difference. This church is an embassy. It can make a difference. That Christ can work and move. Let's pray together. Even now, just think through for a moment what it means for you to step out. What it thinks for you to start to make changes in your rhythm. Lord, I pray that you will guide us and lead us. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to be a people of prayer. I pray, God, that you will help us to build relationships that last for decades because they're built on a travailing for prayer, Lord. I love those words, pray for me. May we know that sense of the Lord at work amongst us. May you help us to wake up where we need to wake up. Pray for me. May those be on our lips when we're going through tough times. Pray for me. Meet with us, Lord, I ask. Amen.